it is simply about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, this thing that we call the church, this new and alternative community where all people can find a seat at the table of God. It's a great, it's a great song. And it leads us into our sermon for this week, uh, which I have entitled Group Project, The Other Side of Church. My name is Derek. Today is August the 30th, 2020 in the season of Ordinary Time. And I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. I talk about you down on my knees. I belong to the bad. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I belong to the bad. Hallelujah. 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 I belong to the bad. Our passage for today, as it was for last week, and as it will be for next week, is Acts 2, 42 through 47. I will read the whole thing, and then uh, I want to highlight just a verse and a half uh, for our reflection today. Uh, Luke is the writer of this book of the Bible, and he writes this about the ancient church. Verse 42, he says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you joined us last week, just a quick recap, we wanted to take a few weeks and explore and reflect on what the community of the church looks like in times like these. More specifically, the togetherness of the church in such separated and divided times. And in our passage today, uh, what we're looking at, and it's a beautiful text, and when you read it, you can, you can kind of get this feeling that, wow, that seems uh, perfect. 
that kind of church community that was being described there seems very flawless. Uh, but it's not a picture in what Luke is giving us. It's not, a, it's not a picture of the church as it always was in those early decades. But he's giving us a picture of what the church was capable of and occasionally known for. It's very easy to read these sorts of descriptions and imagine how unrealistic and perhaps even untrue they must be and how they're possibly just not giving us the full picture in terms of their depiction of the ancient church. But what Luke is doing, though, is he's giving us a picture of the church when she was at her best. It's a sliver of hope in this image of vision for what the church can be. Because anyone who has read any of the letters of the New Testament uh, knows that this was not the normal social makeup of the church. I mean, the Apostle Paul spilled a great deal of ink to remind many churches in the ancient Mediterranean world of their faults and the things that they were getting wrong and how they could change to become more like the communities Christ had called them to be. So it's important for us to read something like Acts 2, 42 through 47 as this visionary description, this image of hope, this goal for the church. Now, the verse and a half I want to focus on this morning is such a good verse and a half. Let me read it. It's verse 46 and the first part of 47. Luke writes, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, there is a structure, if you're looking at this in your own Bibles, there is a structure to this description. Or it's a bracketed thing. The first bracket is this description of worship, this day-by-day participation in temple worship. It's a very Jewish thing to do. If you can get to the temple at the various hours of prayer during the day, you would. And we have this early description of these early ancient Christians doing just that, getting to the temple day-by-day and praying Uh, through the prayers together and worshiping. So one bracket, you have worship. The other bracket, which is the first part of verse 47, is also worship, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, all of this just sounds like normal uh, church spiritual stuff. But think about the structure of this text. The brackets that surround the content are worship. We have temple practices and we have praising God Uh, on the other end as well. And in the middle of the brackets, we have these two scenes that are highly, highly relational. The first is we see people in other people's homes. Uh, Notice in verse 46, after it says uh, they visited uh, attending the temple together, it says, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's this picture of the spiritual giving way to the relational, the communal, the being together part of the church, the friendships that are forming. So the spiritual worshipful pieces circle around the relational pieces. Now, normally when we think of church, we think of things like attending church or being present at church or the order of worship, the liturgy, some sort of class that we're attending, a program that we're participating in, or something 
like that. The better word for this, just to sum all of that up, is the word content, that we're consuming spiritual information. We're consuming faith facts. We're trying to get the information in so that we might uh, grow in our faith. Maybe you, maybe you grew up in a church like that. It was all content. Bible verse, memory verses, memory verses, memory verses, sword drills, speed drills, whatever the drills were where you could, who was the, the kid that was the fastest at finding a book of the Bible, uh, you know, who got all the Vacation Bible School awards just because it was content, 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 shove the content in, and hopefully uh, it will transform a person over time. Content is a key word here. But Luke reminds us in this short and powerful description that spiritual formation happens within the arena of community, that we're not just to sit and consume content, but that we are to practice what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls a life together of bearing with one another, of being there with one another. The church is to be a place of integrated relationships, a mixing of lives where people from all sorts of backgrounds and positions find it within themselves to come together in mutual support and love in spite of the differences, and there were differences between people in these ancient Christian communities, just like there are today. To put it more simply, Luke is describing a community where content is not the only driving force, but where relationships should be flourishing within the content of the stories about Jesus. So as we learn about Jesus more and more, we do that together, and it flows out, it leaks into how we relate to one another and how we welcome one another into our lives. That this is not just about content, but it is deeply about community. One of my favorite moments in the last uh, few years of our church's uh, story is when we purchased our building on State Street. Uh, we didn't even make it a year in the building because of uh, COVID. We had to shut down before we hit our uh, one-year anniversary in the new building. But in May of 2019, April and May of 2019, uh, we paused worship services on Sundays for more than a month, and we used those weekends instead to do work days up at the new property and to renovate this old church building that has been here since 1960. It needed a lot of work. It was beautiful as it was, but it needed some upkeep and some fixing and all the things that you need to do. And, you know, it needed some design. It needed some flair. It needed a little bit of a lift, uh, as at least the way we saw it. And so each Sunday, and I don't remember exactly what um, uh, each, each weekend looked like for us, but we had well over 45, 50 volunteers uh, coming through each weekend to help us renovate this place. And just the work that went into those Saturdays and Sundays of just tearing walls down and repainting and building things and pulling all of these pews out, y'all, all of these pews, these are not Ikea pews. These are legit, heavy, very heavy pews that we had to take them all out, stack them on the stage so we could redo the floor. Uh, the, the floor on the lower level that was ripped out by volunteers on day one, like in one morning, that first morning uh, that we did renovations, that that whole team just ripped the whole lower level floor out so that we could paint and make it just better, you know? 
oh, it's just good memories and ordering lunch on the grounds and just being with people. And, you know, looking back, it was like, what a beautiful picture of the church building the church is what it was. And maybe this is my fault, but there was no, like, prayer time beforehand or a Bible study in the middle or some kind of, hey, let's all remember that we're doing this for the love of Jesus in this neighborhood. We, we didn't do any of that. We just got to work as the church, building the church. It was a beautiful thing. And our church does this. Every church does something like this. Uh, when babies are born, our children's ministry uh, sets up meal trains, and Lindsay organizes getting meals to families with new children in their lives. And it's beautiful to watch every slot get taken. It's beautiful to see people submit prayer requests to a team of volunteers that they know will pray for them. And this is what the church does. It's not just about content, but it's deeply about community. The church was never meant to exclusively be a community of learning and worship. It was also designed to be deeply interpersonal and friendly and social. Uh, people don't often leave church over doctrine. They just don't. But they will stop showing up if they know in their hearts that no one will miss them if they don't show up. Content without community is not a very well-functioning church family. Again, you may have grown up in a church that was all content. Relationships, secondary, or way down the line. Content was king. Get the information, get the information, get the information. Memorize the information, memorize the information, memorize the information. Believe the information. Stand up for the information. It was just content. You may have grown up in a place like that. You may have grown up in a place that was the other end of the spectrum. It was all community, no content. It was just meals and dinners and 80s nights and whatever. And eventually, both of those give uh, way to people just moving on. On the content side, people were just like, well, you know what? I can just get this from a podcast. On the relational side, if it's all community-based, then people just drift eventually because they need more than something they can just get anywhere in the world. Content without community is not a very well-functioning church family, and community without content is not a very well-functioning church family. Remember that we are called to love both God and neighbor. I love that story in the Gospels where Jesus is asked to give his opinion on what the greatest commandment is. It's a very tough question. It's like, what's the best guitar solo of all time? There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, so they're presenting quite a task to Jesus. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus quotes the Shema, or at least a part of it, from Deuteronomy chapter uh, four uh, or six, and he says, you know it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And everybody nods and says, that is the correct answer, to love God. And then Jesus does this. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 8. They know that verse. Leviticus 19, they know that verse. Now, what I find funny is that they did not ask for two commandments. They asked for the greatest, and Jesus says, you know the greatest, love God. And then he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's quite funny. It's not like it at all. It doesn't even share all the words, hardly any of the words. But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is presenting this truth that we love God most often through how we love 
each other. When we love the images of God that are within our life, around us, doing life with us, then we are loving God in a very unique and tangible way. And this is not just about loving people who are, who are like me in every way, but learning the ways of grace by loving those around me who are different, even at odds with my way of seeing the world. In his book, A Fellowship of Difference, plural, difference, it's a made-up word, a bunch of people who are different, uh, Scott McKnight writes this, the Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual, but especially about how we are doing as a church and how what I am doing in that mix of others that I call the church. The church is not just about how I receive and am changed by the content, but how we as a community are growing in the rhythms of grace. You and I can learn way more about the grace and the mercy of Jesus within integrated relationships than we could ever learn from a well-written sermon or a class or a book or a podcast. We don't really learn the rhythms of grace in content-exclusive environments. We learn the rhythms of grace when we place ourselves where grace is needed, and that is most often in relationships with different kinds of people. And so I leave you with this. Let's keep our church as much as it is within our power to do so, a place where all people have a seat at the table, people who agree with us, people who don't agree with us, and where everyone has a shot at being loved by the love of Jesus. Grace and peace. Belong to the band. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, I belong to the band.